You are listening to Boise Fire Mission Strong Podcast, where we share stories from the field, public safety knowledge, and give an inside look into the Boise Fire Department. Here's your host, Fire Chief Mark Niemeyer. Hello, Boise, and welcome to another episode of the Mission Strong Podcast. I'm here today at Fire Station One with Captain Jason Lewis and Captain Scott Hall. We're going to talk a little bit about our dive team and the work we do on the river and the work we do and our ponds, uh, and some of, some of the rest of the work we do. Let's, let's start off by saying first, welcome. Thank you. Uh, great Thanks. to have you guys. We've yeah. been wanting to get down here, and, and certainly fitting right now. With the rivers as high as they are, uh, we know those floors are going to come down, but still very dangerous. So let's talk a little bit, and I'll let you guys decide who's going to answer this. Uh, the history of the dive team. When did Boise Fire start a dive team? What was the history behind it to where we got to today? It started, I believe, in the late 70s. You can back me up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it started kind of with a bake sale sort of, uh, the, the, you know, impetus of getting funding for equipment. And then it, it grew from there. So uh, there was a point in time where I believe that the city thought about uh, discontinuing the dive team. There was a ruling by the city attorney that said, no, we're responsible for the hazards within our jurisdiction. And uh, it was put back in place and uh, we've been in existence ever since. Nice, certainly a hazard for us. We yes. know that, right? So let's talk about this beautiful boat behind us. Uh, not our only vessel, but certainly the main vessel we use. Tell me a little bit about this boat, our listeners, uh, to understand when they see this on the river, what's this boat all about? Having been integral into the purchasing of the boat, you should probably give a history of how we did landed on this style. Okay, sure, yeah. So the previous iterations uh, started off with the Zodiac type boats. Um, we had a couple of those in the early years. And then we, uh, we ended up with a boat that was sort of similar to a type of boat that you would see in the Grand Canyon, with two large tubes with an integrated aluminum and steel hull, uh, different vari- variations. They had uh, jet- jets on them. Um, that was the first, the first two jet boats, Marty Sam 1, Marty Sam 2. Um, those boats uh, were sort of like pontoon boats for lack of a better term. Um, Those boats required a lot of skill to maneuver. The tubes would shake in and out, and it was sort of more like riding a a stand-up jet ski as opposed to a a sit-down jet ski. So it was uh, was fun to drive, but they were were difficult to maneuver. Um, In about 2011, we were up for a, a new vessel, and we researched everything, and we ended up with this. This uh, this jet boat is used in uh, places like Canada and Alaska, where they have very shallow rivers, and that's kind of what we have most of the float season. So this boat is designed so that it can run on plane, that's at speed, um, and as shallow as four inches of water, and have occasional dry land crossings if needed. You know, uh, But we don't do that, of course, because it, it does damage the boat. Uh, but it is very good, and maneuverability is is really very close to driving a sit-down style jet ski. Yeah, super fun. I think, Captain Lewis, you took me out when I first got here. Yeah. And we did a tour up yeah. and down the river, and I was amazed at how well this thing moves yeah. through the water. Yeah, and I think you had a few spots. It was, it felt like four inches. Maybe it yeah. was closer to 12, but yeah. it felt like four. <laughs> very impressive. Uh, so as float season happens right now, a lot of high water, a lot of fast-moving water. Uh, pretty soon, if not already, we'll start our mitigation work, right? Our, our debris cleanup. Talk a little bit about that before we get into the actual float season. Yeah. 
Uh, having, you know, I think this, this summer marks my 20th year on the dive team and um, started off right here at Station One and, and Scott even longer than that. And they're, 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 you can start seeing the patterns of what will cause problems for float season once the float season begins. Um, and because we can recognize those, we, we just take a look at every opportunity we have to mitigate those risks for the float season. And um, um, we remove those hazards. Yeah. Uh, at this point, that mitigation requires a lot of coordination between other agencies. Uh, we have to make sure that um, from the, uh, the, basically from the Corps of Engineers all the way down to um, people who really take a look at the riparian zone and make sure that that stays intact. We have to make sure we have that effort coordinated with everybody. So rather than us just going out and seeing it and removing it, um, there's more communication that happens now. A lot of layers. Yep. A lot of layers from yep. the state to then county. And you bet. Parks and everybody but at this, else. really, at the end of the day, um, the same work ends up happening. Right. And the goal of that mitigation work is to not uh, have it to where those floaters are getting into strainers and other, other hazards that are going to ruin their day. Right. Yeah. I, I sort of like to think of it as I thought about when, I, when my son was younger and he was, uh, you know, wanting to be in his own float tube. Uh, and now he's 13 and he certainly can be. But... I wanted to make it as safe as possible for that maybe eight or nine year old that talked his parents into their own float tube that maybe got out of arm's reach. I want it to be safe. So that's, that's kind of the metric that I, that personally I try to get the river to, but obviously we're not in charge of that all the time and, and uh, trees fall in and branches come down. And so the river is never 100% safe. Right. And that's an important message for folks. I think they think, yeah, it's not moving that fast, it's pretty safe, but it's never fully safe, right? Never. So, so uh, you mentioned float tubes, you know, and making sure they're in the right tube. Talk a little bit about what you both have seen over 20 plus years on the river, uh, everything from safe tubes to not safe tubes. Talk a little bit about the not safe tubes you see out there and folks that are getting stuck or their tubes collapse or whatever happens that causes us to go out. Yeah, you bet. Out. You know, um, I think that some of the most important things to think about if you start to tier your priorities would be, you know, first just wearing life jackets uh, in case you do get knocked off your, your whatever you're riding on. Um, but beyond that, uh, because the river's dynamic, because the flows push you into rocks and all these things, um, you need to have some form of being able to maneuver. So the, that takes us to what is the most dangerous form of uh, transportation? It would be the uh, Kmart raft or any sort of, um, you know, cheap. The big, flink, big flamingo. Sure. The, yeah. And with a uh, Tiva is your paddle, you know, and we see that all the time. And uh, those are generally the people that we just say, yep, we'll, we'll see those guys down at that hazard and um, help them out when they get there. Yeah. I mean, you can sort of predict what's going to happen. Right. When you see all the boats like uh, tied together and who knows what strings they use, they probably use the strings that came with it. Right. And they tied a knot that is impossible to untie. And when we see those tied together and heading towards a bridge abutment, that's when we start to get nervous. Or if we're out there, we try to take action. We try to let them know, hey, get away from that thing. Um, we've even used the, the side of the boat to bump rafts away from the different uh, bridge abutments to, to shove them really into safety. Um, so th those are the most dangerous. But really also the, the other danger is not paddling. So if you think that it's the lazy river at the Roaring Springs, it isn't, right, right. you know, it is, there isn't a lifeguard present at all times. And 
So I, I think that's uh, what the floater should have is an attitude that says, okay, I have to watch for myself. I need to keep my kids near me within arm's reach at all times. And, you know, be paying attention and planning for things downstream. And really the river is safe to 99.99% of the people out there. But on those busy days, there's that's that generates 12, 13 calls of boats getting in trouble. Right. So, so we talked a little bit about hazards and, and when you respond out, it's usually people getting caught up into a hazard. Talk to our listeners a little bit about the common hazards you guys see on the river that you're mitigating, but then also throughout the course of the season that really catch people up. Yeah. The hazards are on the Boise River are, are really the trees and the branches on the side of the river. Um, some rivers, you have to think a lot about the bottom of the river, but not as much this one. Um, so our hazards are like a tree that falls into the water and has the, the branches extending downward. And then water is passing through there and water can go through there, but people can't go through there. So that is, that is known as a strainer uh, because it strains out victims, really people and, and pets, it would do pets. Right now, with the flows being up around 6,000 CFS, there are many, many strainers out there. It's very dangerous right now. The, the Boise River uh, for this time of year is not really a friendly place to be, even for river experts. And we have lots of them in the valley here. We do. But you don't see them out there in the river because everything is a strainer. So th that is one of the things that we would want our, our people to avoid, our strainers. And then also low-hanging branches. If you see low-hanging branches in your an inner tuber and you think, oh, it'd be fun to float through the shade, but looks like looks like those branches are in the water. You need to avoid that area. That is also a strainer. So those, those are the really major hazards. And then we always say, don't stand in moving water deeper than say your, your knee, right? Because, because of the amount of uh, force that the water can exert, um, it would be possible to knock you off your feet um, and then you become an unintentional swimmer. Um, so those are the main hazards that you want to add to that. Um, in the fast moving water channels um, that, you know, the water will drop down below a thousand CFS and it really does become the lazy river. Uh, but and CFS just for our listeners. Yeah, like cubic feet per second. Sure. So it's just a way for us to gauge flow um, so that we can all be speaking the same language about what we might encounter out there. Um, when you get into the deeper channels, the rocks get very big and they get angular. Um, and so uh, during the lower flows is actually when we have a higher potential for a foot entrapment in those areas as well. And there's times where we will make a recommendation not to be on the river, right? The fire department issues uh, an advisory to the community to say, you know, don't be on the river, it's unsafe. We rely on the input from you as the dive team to make that recommendation to the public. but we would hope that they would listen to that, right? I'm sure you guys have seen it. We've seen it already where somebody didn't listen to that advice uh, and we're out on the river a lot sooner than we would wanna be during, during a rescue, so. I think a lot of the floaters are getting excited for the river season. Maybe we have a nicer day yep. and don't be fooled. You know, this is going to be probably a longer season of, of having the, the CFS, the flows uh, be uh, continuously high. Um, and that's just a matter of Hey, we have to leave enough space in the reservoir to catch all the right. all the giant uh, snow melt that we're going to have. Too much water, not a bad problem for Idaho, right? Right, now. but it's a balancing act that they have to do, and so we're we're really you know releasing a lot of water down the river uh, for for the safety of 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 the dams, basically. Yeah. But
but that is not necessarily a good time to go out and try to enjoy the Boise River. We have some warm weather coming. I see it in the forecast. We do. High 80s. It is not a time to get out on, out on the river this year because the flow is still at 6,000 CFS and everything is potentially a strainer out there. So, and then the cold water just can sap your energy. Yeah. If you're not wearing a life jacket, if you're not properly attired, if you don't know what to look for, uh, you know, basically if you're not a river expert, you shouldn't be out there. So just to wrap up our, our cautions, uh, wear a life jacket all the time, uh, get in an inner tube that's safe, uh, avoid maybe the Walmart pink flamingos. Uh, we know those aren't safe. Don't tie your tubes together. Uh, do a handhold to, to keep your tubes together. Uh, and then just enjoy yourself, but uh, stay away from the low hanging branches, stay away from the strainers and we help identify those, especially in the app that we're talking about. Uh, and don't drink too much on the river, right? Um, we see that as well. Temperatures get hot. People want to take out their beer and, and their uh, white claws and everything else. Stay away from that and just go enjoy yourself. Have a good float season. Yeah, well said. We also have a really cool new app coming out that I think uh, it's been built by one of our uh, Boise Fire employees with obviously your inputs into what makes sense to where they can get real-time hazard mitigation notices, uh, all of that. That's something we'll be launching. You both have been a part of that and that development. Uh, so first, thank you for your work. I think this is going to be one-of-a-kind app. Uh, I haven't seen one out there in any city like ours yet, uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But uh, real time where you can track where you're at on the river and what's coming up ahead and the dangers that might be ahead. So thank you for your work. You've seen it. You've both seen it. What do you think of it? I think it's going to be a very useful tool to let people know that haven't maybe floated the river or that haven't really educated themselves. Maybe they floated it many times, but really haven't really put the effort into learning about, hey, what's coming up next? Right. So um, I think that's gonna help. Knowing your location and being able to report a location for a 911 call, that, that's gonna really help us out um, because getting out there and, and looking for people on the river on a busy day is very challenging. We're having to navigate all those people on the river with this jet boat and uh, that is a pretty big challenge. So I think it's gonna be very beneficial for that. Um, we'll, we'll see how the alerting goes, uh, how much uh, use it gets as far as um, people actually updating themselves like to, to the minute, let's say, um, right. so they can see if, gee, I heard sirens, maybe there's a hazard or something ahead. And we'll see how we can, we'll see how efficiently we can incorporate that into our routine out there as well. We'll see. It, it'll, be, it'll be fun to launch it and yeah. we'll see how it goes this year. So beyond the river, we, we focused on the river because right now we're in that season. It's a lot of what we do but it's not just the river you go on, right? Uh, as far as rescues go, training. Uh, Cap, talk to me a little bit about the training you all go through uh, every, every year, annual basis, and it's not just once a year, it's several times a year to stay proficient in a pretty high, high dangerous environment. And, and, and an environment in which uh, time matters, you know? So I'd say that uh, we focus on some really core competencies every year. Um, and those really are just to make sure that during each season, the type of gear we use, uh, we're all up to date and ready to go for, for those seasonal changes. Um, on top of that, we practice um, in, a, in varying environments as well as um, try to put ourselves in situations um, where we've encountered calls in the past. So say, um, you know, maybe our bread and butter sweep pattern doesn't work very well, so we'll, we'll kind of pivot and make sure that we apply um, parallel searches because of terrain or vegetation. So 
trying to stay up to date and make sure we all go through a number of different iterations of dive training because um, each call can be a little bit different. Sure. And it's not just, you know, summertime's easy to focus on. You all still respond to wintertime water accidents, right? Maybe talk a little bit about what you see in the wintertime that you're responding to outside of summer and ponds and floaters and, and all that. Yeah, we train for ice diving uh, up, up to the point of ice diving rescue. We, we talk about that a lot for the general public, uh, but it's also to um, be back support for our own uh, first responders and firefighters uh, that, that they, they know that we're coming and we're not necessarily close to the location right. where, where the call right. is. We could be in West Boise, so we could have a 20, 25 minute response time to that. Um, but uh, they know that they, they can take some risk. They have really good equipment now. Um, in the past, uh, what, 10 years or so, we've gone to the ice Mustang suits on every apparatus, every fire engine, every, every truck in the city. And so everybody has that one piece of equipment and rope to go affect like a surface ice rescue. Yep. Um, so so that's, that's one of our disciplines. The surface ice rescue itself is a discipline. And we, we learned that and then we brought it to the rest of the department. Um, and so uh, our scale has gone up even since you and I've been on the team quite a bit. The way that we used to scuba dive uh, under the ice has changed a lot. We used to tie into a bell at the bottom of the, of the pond. Yep. And so if we had an emergency, we'd have to go back to the bell, unclip and go to the surface. We don't do that anymore. That right. was a bad idea. Right. But you know, we've evolved our type of rescue here in the city um, in the winter. Then we also do summer pond diving. Uh, so, you know, the, the ponds have various degrees of depth and, you know, most of the ponds you wouldn't want to be in, but we, we have people that find their way into there either by accident or uh, on purpose. And we've had a number of rescues and all throughout the city, I would say. So talk to me a little bit about our, our listeners about the, the surface supplied air. I mean, that, that's a new technology you guys brought in a few years ago, and that's a lot different than what we did before. Talk about the advantages that that has brought all of you as you, as you dive. You know, one of the, uh, the obvious advantages, uh, we have basically an unlimited air supply. Um, so that, that, that allows us to exercise with a little bit more freedom of, of knowing that um, we don't have that limited supply. So that's probably the biggest thing. This, but the other thing is we've had varying degrees of success throughout time with uh, communications. And in a zero-vis environment, which is what we have, uh, communications becomes even more critical. Um, sometimes, you know, you can't determine your own location in the water, but um, these things can be communicated to you from the surface. Um, uh, so it's more of a team approach between you and your tender. There's only so much th communication that can occur through rope signals. So um, having that hard line, which is all integrated into the, the air supply, uh, is a huge benefit for us. Yeah, pretty big deal. Yeah, it's, it's a very strong tether that's basically unbreakable. And uh, even though, as Jason was uh, saying, we, we could communicate with line pull signals and that is our backup plan if we lose comm for some reason. Um, it's nice uh, from the captain's perspective of knowing that diver is out there and he's tied in and, and yeah. we can pull him or her back if we need to. And we have had to in the, in the past. Which is a good thing. Yeah. R really high risk. I, Gordon. Gordon Graham says it best, low frequency, high risk. That's exactly what we're talking about here with diving. It doesn't happen every day, but when it does, it's a high risk, high risk situation. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, you're you're at the one of the busiest houses in our in our city, right? Station one here. You both have been captains here for a while. You not only have dive, you have rescue. We we have motorcycles behind us that you take up into the foothills, along with the engine and daily responses. So how do you all balance staying proficient at these things, right? The dive is a, a hugely critical, important part of what we do, but you also have your engine work, your EMS work, the rescue work. How do you balance all that and make sure you stay proficient? It comes down to prioritization. So <clears throat> we have to make sure that we are all ready to respond to, uh, for any call that the engine requires. Uh, there's a baseline of training that, that we all have to adhere to, and um, we have to strategically train for those incidents when we can. So that generally becomes seasonal. We, we spend a lot more time in the winter training for our fire responses. Um, and we end up spending the spring uh, prepping for wildfire responses, yeah. uh, getting ready for the brush season, taking the brush rig out, doing our progressive lays, all those yeah. things. And, and really making sure that we're prioritizing the dive response. Um, uh, while we're just another engine company, and while every one of them is important, we're the only dive team, and we have to make sure that we're ready for any situation that occurs there because there is, we're the last stop. Just one boat. Just one boat. Just no one other stations team. have it. That's right. right. So I know uh, as we look at this river system, we, we have the Boise section, and you have the Eagle section, and you have the Star section, the Middleton section. I know uh, Eagle recently got a, a boat, I think it was a Zodiac, if I remember right. I know Star and Middleton have a Zodiac as well. Do you see a future where it's really going to be a continue? I know we have blockages, but a continuous river system of rescue where maybe you are working with those teams a little bit more often now that they have some teams up and running. Yeah, I think we're definitely starting to feel some integration happening. There's, uh, there's the beginning of communication about that. Uh, Boise Fire isn't necessarily going to star for a water rescue in the river at this point. Uh, that's, that's good for Boise, you know, that keeps yeah. us, we're, we're, we're sort of a countywide response, our policies indicate such, but really it's good for us to stay local as much as possible, um, especially during the busy river season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how busy those floats are getting, but our, like we said earlier, our float is getting very busy. Yeah. And it's, that is almost ready to be a full-time job out there, I would say. Yeah. And I think those other departments are feeling that pinch as well. You know, talking to the Eagle Chief and the Star Chief, they're starting to see an increase in floaters. So I, I think uh, that's why I asked. It's going to be a continuous river system yeah. at some point. Uh, and that cooperation, as you know, in the fire service, that's what we do. We help our neighbors back and forth. And I, I could see a point where we're working a lot closer with those other departments, yeah. uh, especially on this riverfront. Yeah. yeah, especially in that area around Glenwood. Yep. You know, where we're going to end up meeting injuries. Somebody's going up, somebody's together. going down, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was gonna to mention too, one of the areas of relief that we are getting is the trial of the squad here. So we do have a lot of disciplines, uh, with everything that you mentioned, but the squad will help us with that quite a bit, I think, as far as like taking some of the pressure off of the medical response, which is our, it, it really ends up being the majority of our calls in the, in the fire service every, everywhere, really. Yeah. But it's, it, if we can take the pressure off of that uh, need to be available for that response, then we can be training on all the other stuff too. Yeah, because once you get out on the river, typical weekend, right? Lots and lots of floaters. Once you get on the river, it's pretty hard to get off. It really, it, it really is. It can be difficult. Yeah. Uh, people flagging us down, asking us for help. But really, we, we get out there, sometimes we see maybe sort of a hot spot. We'll, we'll do what we can with it, and meaning that Maybe we've got a tree or a branch that's, that's changed or come down, we'll mitigate it as best we can, if not remove it completely. Right. But sometimes we can't. And so then we end up 
spending the day or, or multiple days on the river. Yeah. Let's talk real quick about how many, how many folks do you have in the boat with you uh, to safely operate in the environments you guys are in? On the river, um, we can operate still effectively with four. Um, I don't like to load it up with much more than four. It, it, well, I say that, but it's really dependent upon flows. Everything depends upon flows. But as far as maneuverability, turning uh, in, our, in our normal float season of, let's say, 1,500 CFS, yeah. um, four ends up being uh, a pretty good number to stay under. Yeah. Um, and so really what that, that says is, um, you know, the three of us get on the boat and then we can allow for one more. Right. Um, if we end up shuttling people, which we have after, you know, they have some sort of accident, then we'll just, uh, you know, maybe two of us rescuers will be a two, sure. two people. So, yep. yeah. And you can, you can say, okay, I could shuttle from here, from this point to that bank and I, I don't need to be on plane or be driving fast necessarily, or sometimes you do. And so you have to take that into account when you're loading victims onto the boat. Of course, if it's dire, they're all gonna come onto the boat and we're gonna right. figure it out. Right. But uh, that haven't had a terrible situation with that yet. So. Well, let's hope we don't have one yeah. in the future. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you want uh, our listeners and our community to know about the dive team? Anything we haven't covered that you want the community to know about the dive team? Yeah, I think there's one thing and that's just expect us to see us out on the river. Uh, know that we're there for your safety. Um, know that we're, we're not there to police people, but we will be making sa uh, recommendations if we're seeing unsafe acts. If we're seeing uh, anybody without life jackets, especially children, um, we may be a little bit more forceful with our recommendations. Uh, we just wanna keep everybody safe out there. Um, I think it, one of our, our best opportunities for getting out in the public and really talking with and engaging uh, thousands of people on a daily basis is for us to be out on the water. So we're gonna do that as much as we can. Yep. Uh, just to try to continue that uh, community education. It's a great service. It's a great service to the community. And to your point earlier about the history, uh, I can tell you this city council certainly supports uh, the work we do on the river. They, they know it's one of the biggest attractions we have, not just for community members, right? Mm -hmm. But folks are coming from all over the valley to come float this river and they, they enter at Barber Park and they float down. And so uh, it's a valuable service. Couldn't thank you guys enough for the service you provide all the crews down here. Uh, they're going to spend their their uh, summer months helping our community. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Awesome. Yeah, love to do it. Thanks, Boise, for tuning in. We hope you join us next month for another exciting episode of the Mission Strong podcast.